Art Supply Posse. It's Kim. Joining us in the posse today is artist Edith Dormandy. Hello, Edith. Welcome so much to the posse. I am delighted to have you here joining us today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, we love we love new guests into the posse. It's always fun when we have returning guests, but like new guests are the best because you know, can I use the word virgin? Can I say you're a virgin? <laughs> At least in terms of joining the posse anyway. So, you know, we've Yeah, got I mean I, you know, not no disclosure in in the rest of <laughs> <laughs> No, that's another podcast, I think, for, yeah, so we won't go there. I mean, I'm up for it, sure, why not? <laughs> Share, well, sharing I about the listeners, that could be, that could be it. <laughs> They've come here for art <laughs> and they're getting a whole different education today. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the two things combine, it's all part of the same, same, wow. same I mean, life, isn't it? Yeah, that is true, that is true. <laughs> But look, let's let's get back onto track. Let's let's at least start where we should be starting. How does that sound? Yeah. <laughs> so, big question right at the top: Who is Edith Dormandy? Okay. Well, um, I'm I'm an artist. I, mm. uh, I I work mainly in oils and watercolors. Sometimes I do drawing as well, but at the moment, mainly painting. Um, I would say I'm representational as opposed to um, abstract. Um, and I've got quite, a, um, as I, as I said, I'm not sure which is going out first, but as I said in my um, three um, top favourite art supplies one, I, I've got quite a strange old-fashioned sort of training mm-hmm. um, where I, I went to a school called LARA, the London Atelier of Representational Art, which has mm-hmm. very sadly folded since because um, of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's part of a, a lots of different schools that have emerged over um across across the world I think particularly in Europe and the states I don't really know what the situation is elsewhere in the world for, for them but it's a it's a kind of school called atelier schools sometimes called academies which are built on a um on a 19th century style training in in representational drawing and painting so I've got that quite unusual and specific training mm-hmm. um I also have an art history degree before that um and so I'm trying to work out how to take all of that stuff which is sort of deep dives into art of the past of different sorts mm-hmm. and work out how to how to be a contemporary artist with that sort of training um how to how to how to paint in the 21st century with a training from the 19th um Hmm. it's quite a an odd challenge (laughs) um and I'm also a teacher um I teach a teach an after school club for kids and evening class for adults in in drawing and painting which I love um and I also I'm not this anymore but I, I was fairly recently um an archivist for um the Royal Watercolor Society um here in the UK um which I I mentioned just because I think it kind of joins in with the other Mm. things in terms of my interest in the past and um in 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 art history and how that influences my practice um so that's yeah that's that's some of the things I am (laughs) yeah then like there's so much to unpack there what I want to do though is hold that for a second and I want to slip to 
younger you, which I assume mm. is going to be younger you. And I'm curious to know what was your what's your first art memory? Now, this memory can be it could be you doing art, making art of some something. It can be something that look, it may not have been the first time you made art, but maybe it was the first time that art you felt the pull to it. Or conversely, maybe it's going to a museum or seeing somebody else making art and thinking, oh, I want that. Like what what would be your first first artistic memory? Yeah, well, I, I it's a it's a tricky question because there are so many and it's also sometimes quite difficult to work out what came first or, you yeah. know, um, and as you say, there are so many things that can fall into the category of artistic memory, can't they? I yeah. mean, when I was little, I did lots of what I called making. I would never have called it art mm-hmm. um, at that point, but I did lots of, I made... Um, you know, chests of drawers out of matchboxes and tiny rocking chairs. And I made my dad at one point uh, um, for his birthday, like a, um, a caravan, like a tiny miniature caravan with wheels that went round and like filled all the cupboards with stuff, made the little books, made like a cafetiere where the thing went up and down. And just like, <laughs> I loved all of that sort of thing. Um, and I feel like that's the, the seed of what I do now, although... Yeah actually what I'm doing is quite different yeah, and I think throughout school sorry no I was just gonna say it, it's not surprising that it that it is so different I think you know it was a reflection of you at the time and what you're doing now is is the same it's a reflection of you right now and perhaps you know in 10 years time it might be completely different again you just don't know totally totally absolutely and, and I think um it's it's sort of it's something quite interesting this sort of idea of of art and what art is and the fact that that wasn't art to me then but then throughout school the art room was where that happened and art classes was where the thing that was closest to that happened so I was like okay I guess I like art yeah and then that comes with a whole load of history and baggage um and 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 then, um, yeah, so I mean, I, I think probably one of my earliest memories of making is folding a little cereal box and turning it into an iron um, and just sort of covering it in in tape. And it was just like a little. So that's probably, I mean, and that's just like just squishing it. But I just for some reason, I really remember that. Um, but then I do also remember when I was in nursery um I think I remember who knows um, <laughs> you know one of these things that, that yeah. you've thought about over the years so it might not might not be a real memory at all but I there's a painting that I did um of of a bridge near where I lived mm-hmm. and I remember thinking I want the bridge to I want to see the whole of the bridge so I'd see it like a kind of upside down U and drew that and then I remember thinking, but I don't know how to draw the water because the water, I'm looking at the water straight on, as it were, rather mm-hmm. than going yep. in a line across. Um, so I remember sort of actually almost struggling with perspective at that <laughs> at that age. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which uh, I still struggle with to this day. So there we go. <laughs> you know. um, yeah. But it was quite a good painting, I'm going to say. Well, does any of this one. still exist? Any of these things still exist anywhere? Uh, I don't think the cereal box iron still exists, but actually that oh. painting does still exist. My mum, my mum um, framed it. Uh, I remember her saying that the um, 
the framer was like, why are you doing this? They produce all sorts of crap all the time at that age. Why are you bothering? She was like, no, this is a work of genius. It's going on the wall. <laughs> I can't do that. Oh, oh adults, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, my mum's always been an excellent supporter of good of everything I make, good. which is wonderful. Both yeah, both good. We like that. Yeah. So, so why? And again, we're sort of this is quite deep, but you know, this is just how we go. Why art? Like you've <laughs> you've you've said about you know your making when you were younger. Why did you stick with it? Why why has art stayed with you for your life, your whole life so far? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of those questions that you can kind of think of answers for. I don't know how accurate they are, but I'll give it a go. I mean, <laughs> I think. Um, I never, I never wanted to be an artist. That was never, that was never the plan. I had all sorts of plans to be an explorer and uh, and a, a naturalist and all sorts of, you know, different things. Um, a set designer at one point for the theatre was, I suppose, the closest thing to what I've ended up doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, um, I, so I, I, st- I did an art history degree. Um, and that was because I really liked writing essays and I was quite good at it. And mm-hmm. I was going to do, I was sort of between history and English, um, but uh, sorry, between history of art and English. And I felt that um, because I make art and at that point I didn't write any poetry or anything of that sort, it seemed more sensible to study the thing that I was also doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I studied history of art and then I, um, throughout that, throughout my degree, I was still doing, I was still drawing and making, but I, it, it still never really occurred to me that that was going to be the main thing that I did. Um, I was just writing about other people's art, reading about other people's art, organizing other people's exhibitions. And at a certain point I was like, actually, no, I want to do the fun bit that's in the middle of all of this, <laughs> you know, yeah. all of these things that, other people are doing and I'm writing about it but why can't I do it yeah um and I was going to lots of evening classes and things and and I kept kind of coming up against the feeling that I my ideas were um were sort of expanding outside of the realm of my technical ability like I couldn't mm-hmm. um I couldn't realize that everything that was in my head um and then a friend a friend of a friend was at this place uh, called Lara, mm-hmm. um, which was this very traditional school, and I just did a summer school there and thought and thought I'd you know give it a go. Um, my dad suggested that I did it actually at first, and I was like, no, it sounds really boring and old fashioned, and why would I want to do that? <laughs> I was like, no, thank you. Um, sounds rubbish. And then I went and was like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me, and I've got to be here for four years. Uh, <laughs> so you never know. Yeah. Um, and 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 then I think it just became evident that you know I wanted to learn to do it well, mm-hmm. and then I slowly realised that if I wanted to do it well, I'd have to do it for my entire life. So that now that's what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, sort of this this feeling of, um, I mean that's not the case for everyone at all, and it's not I, I don't that I put it in kind of very stark terms there, which I don't think. Uh, are universal at all but for for me I mm. felt I feel like I need to I need to spend years on it and I don't and uh so I might not end up 
spending my entire life on it but I think it's entirely possible that I will um yeah I feel so, like the goalposts keep moving well yeah definitely the more you learn the more you want to learn like yeah. yeah so so do you think if and all of this of course is just because this is not how it happened so we're all just guessing and we're thinking and maybe and what ifs but if you had have gone somewhere other than Lara do you mm. think you would have been doing the same sort of style of art you're doing? Because obviously you've said it was an incredibly traditional style. Would like do you would you have still been drawn to that because of your art history experience and everything? Because I'd imagine that's what you would have been looking at and learning and and, and immersed in is whether we are nineteenth century or whichever whichever you know in the past history. For art, so do you think you would have always been pulled to that anyway? Maybe not Lara. Maybe somewhere else you still would have been pulled to wanting to learn that kind of art. I don't know. I don't think so, to be honest, because I think that actually in my in my art history degree, we we were looking at contemporary art as well, and we were looking at okay. quite a lot of different things. And I also um, did a, um, uh, quite a lot of anthropology um, mm-hmm. as as a kind of module. Um, so I was quite aware of the breadth of possibility in terms of what what making and visual culture and whatever we like to call art might be. Um, so I don't think I had necessarily quite such a such a narrow view of 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 what I wanted. I think what attracted me to Lara was the rigor of the training and the fact mm-hmm. that I would be able to do one thing really well. So I think it's more likely in a way that if I hadn't gone to Lara, I might have gone into like cabinet making or some another craft. Mm-hmm. I think craft yes. was what attracted me. Um, and I've looked into quite a lot of craft trainings at different points. You know, the, the my Google history involves quite a lot of like, oh, maybe this school, maybe this school. <laughs> you know? um, as I, I, I can imagine it might do with you as well, you know, maybe yeah. all these different like Oh, honestly. Things, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's not get um, started on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think the the when I was doing my art history degree, because I was it was just sort of self governed what I did, mm-hmm. um, I would just sort of nip off in all sorts of different directions. And I think after a while, I was just aware that every idea was being expressed in a different medium, which was quite exciting, but it meant that I never got very good at doing one thing. So I really mm-hmm. wanted to get very good at doing one thing. Yeah. Um, this happened to be the training that presented itself to me, but I really do think that if I had gone into pottery or something, then then I I think it could have gone in quite a lot of different directions at at that point, actually. Yeah, yeah. So I'm interested to know, so you've described your work as representational. How, explain that to someone who doesn't know the word in terms of art, who doesn't know the, the, the meaning in terms of from an artistic perspective. How would you, like, yeah. if you were to, if, you know, you had someone who hasn't yet looked at your Instagram website, anything like that, they're just listening now, how would you describe it? Yeah, well, uh, I'll, I'll do that in two parts, as it were, describing representational 
as yeah. in general and describing yeah. how it relates to me. So um, when I say representational, I mean it in a very kind of basic way in the sense of not abstract. So mm-hmm. it's it's art that it looks like something, you know, so yep. it might be a portrait or it might be a landscape or a still life, um, something that, um, you know, you've got a, you've got a, 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 a picture of something essentially yes. and that could be a drawing or a painting or a sculpture um but it's not um it's not abstract mm-hmm. um so that's that's all I mean by representational in that sense for me um I have for that I've got I would say my practice is still quite split between two places one is Um, very strictly representational, which Mm -hmm. is um, very much the training that I've come from, which involves, you know, those traditional genres that I just mentioned, portraiture. Um, I don't do much landscape, actually, but portraiture is still life. We did a lot of drawing and painting from uh, plaster casts of old sculptures. Um, So, I mean, it couldn't have looked more (laughs) old-fashioned. And um, so that was that's that's a very that's the kind and and the aim with that was to make it look as much like what you were looking at as possible there was mm-hmm. no kind of there wasn't no interpretation but there was very little interpretation you know that there was that there that it's not it's not what I call photorealism because yes. it yep. involves a bit of loosening of the edges and kind of atmospheric softness which you don't get so much in photorealism mm. um but it's it's pretty much like get it as close to what you could see as possible. Yeah. And then the work that I'm doing at the moment and the work that I've been kind of trying to push myself towards is a bit looser and and sort of uses that as a jumping off place to make um, hopefully slightly more expressive um, and, yeah, looser mm-hmm works which hang somewhere between representation and abstraction in that in that sense yeah so is that is that move to wanting to do that uh about trying to get more of your feelings I guess your emotions in that work as such instead of it just as you're saying just strictly being you know a representation of that thing that's in front of you whether it's a person or a still life or whatever like is it sort of giving you is is that yeah is that what it is is it kind of giving it a bit more emotional a bit more of Edith in what you're creating what you're painting I think maybe a bit um but I think actually quite appropriately to this podcast it's more to do with letting the medium speak for themselves Mm -hmm. um uh, so it's sort of um I I think quite a lot of representational painting in some ways almost has too much of the artist in it because every mark has been controlled and Mm -hmm. every mark has been decided on um in a very kind of conscious way yeah and I quite like the idea, for example, with watercolors, sometimes I'll I'll stand back from something I've been working on and think, I know why I put down every mark there, and that is kind of limiting the meaning of this piece. It's it's just it's just a statement that I'm making yeah. that I could almost have just like written down. Mm-hmm. I want this to be an object which is beyond something that only I 
have thought I want it to kind of live in its own self so I sort of chuck a whole load of water over and see what happens um um, you know all of that all of that kind of highfalutin you know philosophical stuff just chuck your paint water on it (laughs) but sometimes that's all you need really well I was Um, actually going to ask you how do you go about doing that well you've just answered just throw water at it so I mean but what about you're doing that in oil painting you can't I mean throwing water at it really wouldn't do much so what do you do how do you approach that with oil paint because it's a whole different beast to watercolor very different and I'm I'm just learning that now to be honest I've been doing it with watercolor for longer because I wasn't trained in watercolor I was doing watercolor in my own time while Mm -hmm. I was being trained in drawing and oil painting Mm -hmm. um so I I I'm I'm sort of in the earlier stages of working out how to do it with oil painting I mean you can chuck terps at it so that is you know you can do kind of the equivalent that way um or or um I use Santador actually um because it's, it's marginally healthier but still not very good um and um yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's all very very poisonous but uh, yeah. um <laughs> um I think sometimes uh you can do quite a lot of um scraping scraping back and mm-hmm. and kind of um seeing how um how you can say what you want to say with the least information possible sometimes that's a way of doing it um so taking so doing a painting and then taking away and taking away and taking away until you feel like you're on the verge of it not looking like the thing you want it to look like Mm -hmm. um that's that's one thing um another thing is is using a brush that's slightly too big for what you're working on, mm-hmm. um, then it's a bit more out of control. Um, and another thing is kind of, I guess this is then where the emotion comes back in. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so so recently I did a painting of some lace, an old piece of lace that I'd inherited. It's, it's on my Instagram. Um, <clears throat> and uh i my grandmother had 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 left it to me uh she died fairly recently and we've been doing quite a lot of clearing of her house and so on which is a very kind of emotionally charged experience oh yeah um yeah. and um i was painting this very very intricate piece of lace and trying to make sort of this gloopy thing which is paint um describe this very linear thread-like thing well not thread-like mm-hmm. it is made of thread um yeah. uh this amazing kind of network of fine threads um and obviously that's technically very difficult but it also I was painting at the same time as I, I was painting it while she was dying actually oh um, okay <laughs> so it was it was pretty it was pretty intense um, and yeah. somehow the um the the kind of the paint stopped behaving you know it stopped Mm -hmm. it stopped letting me it stopped letting me use it to describe something else it it was just like no I am just paint and it sort of felt to me quite like what was happening with her body I was quite I was quite involved in her care and um it was sort of like her flesh was was saying actually, no, I'm not going to behave as you want me to behave. I'm not going to support life anymore. I'm just going to become, 
matter I'm just going to become mm-hmm. stuff and it felt like that the paint was saying I'm just going to become stuff mm-hmm. um so um that that was a an experience where the paint really really kind of sort of took over in a sense um it's not exactly a tip make sure that someone you love is dying but I mean, <laughs> it's um <laughs> it, it's sometimes how it happens but the thing is, is that is life, death. You know, they they they're conjoined. You cannot have one without the other. And yeah, you were able to, or it sounds like you were able to process a lot of what was going on with her in another way. And you are now going to have that, not just that lace that she left you, but then your portrayal of that in paint as well. And yeah that's pretty it's pretty big it's pretty pretty amazing and this is another reminder of why art to me is so special is because whatever it is however whatever medium you use whatever you like to do whether you consider yourself an artist or a hobbyist or none of it just someone who plays with supplies it does give you that outlet in times of grief but also in times of joy and all of life everything you know you can encompass all that into your work if you want to um yeah that's yeah for sure it sounds like it was intense but also an incredibly incredible learning thing for you perhaps as well definitely definitely I think it was yeah very yeah it was a very important painting for me and I don't I don't really know if I think it's ended up being uh, quote unquote good painting but it was certainly a useful one <laughs> yeah. um which is probably and, more important um, anyways yeah That's, definitely you know yeah I tend to think that the best paintings are the ones that are sort of the side effect of a useful process you mm-hmm. know that that, that that if you can learn something and inquire meaningfully into something mm-hmm. um that that the painting that is the side effect of that is is probably more valuable than something that is super refined, but yeah. you didn't learn anything, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. So, so how do you, like, how do you f- go forward with this? Like, in terms of continuing this expansion of your style and, and changing changing it to fit fit now, fit the world now. Like, is it is it something you've kind of got? an idea in mind of how it will go is it something you're just sort of playing with like it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting place to be as an artist I would imagine yeah well I mean that's the million dollar question I I do not know where it's going (laughs) Um, I've got some kind of I've got some ideas but it it will likely change um I am just following my nose really um but I think one of the main kind of things that I fall back on is looking to other artists and how Mm -hmm. they're navigating the same problems um and uh and other artists in other disciplines as well so sort of thinking about how um I went I went to um the you know how how someone who works in theatre for example might be um rethinking the past um because mm-hmm. I think that's sort of what I'm trying to do 
um, not just in terms of the style of painting, but also in terms of the content of the painting. So I, I'm working at the moment on quite a lot of things to do with family history, um, partially because I'm doing this house clearance yeah. um, for my grandmother, but also just because I've been working on that for, for a bit of time and, and working out um, how, for example, um, how to how to kind of navigate and interpret and cope with my family my white family's colonial history you know Uh and um, the very um, alarming fact of that Um, and um, how to hold it in my head that that I wouldn't be here without that um, but the violence and the and the oppression that was involved in that Um, so that's that's and 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 you know other areas um sort of like that as well in terms of um my legacy as a female member of my family and mm-hmm. and someone who has is is making a career out of art which is something that would not have been available to the majority of my female ancestors so um sort of trying to think these things through so i'm using family photos and old family objects like the lace um then my next painting is going to be of some um uh (laughs) there are things called glove stretchers which are basically a pair of tongs which you would put into kid gloves Mm -hmm. after you'd washed them to stretch out the fingers (laughs) so they didn't shrink after washing which is just like the most bizarre little bit of paraphernalia that's obviously completely useless now um and so evocative of um of of restraint and force within a within a a physical within a kind of domestic setting um and uh so i i i guess i find my way through um through thinking about the past through the content in that way and i kind of try to find things which um which give me a little window into the past, but also bring up the strangeness of, of, Mm. you know, there's this, this phrase, which is quite a useful one called making strange, um, which I I imagine you've probably come across before, which is is this sort of um, idea of painting something and then put it, making it and making it strange I mean it's it does what it says on the tin um (laughs) but so I suppose that's part of it and then and then there's and then in terms of the style I really don't know how it's going to work but there as I say I use other artists so my my current kind of um all-time favorite is an artist called Celia Paul um who's a British artist she's still um working and living in London um and she's she's an amazing artist in the sense that she's also a I suppose you broadly speaking call her a representational painter mm-hmm. um her pictures are of things <laughs> but yeah. they also have this very um powerful resonance beyond um beyond the thing that they're of um Mm -hmm. and they also feel like they have a connection to the past but they also feel very contemporary somehow so um looking to someone like her or someone like Cecily Brown as well um Marlene Duma Doris Alcedo all of these people who who are kind of thinking about the past and Mm -hmm. reinterpreting it and 
stealing from them, I guess. That's my plan. (laughs) (laughs) Or steal. I mean, you know, it's your interpretation at the end of the day anyway. Yeah, steal. Why not? (laughs) So so I'm curious then, when you are teaching, because Mm. you've got two vastly different age groups here, you know, you said you're teaching children and then adults. How, what's, what is that process like? Like teaching children, teaching adults, but then factoring in what you know with your art practice and your history and stuff. Like, how does, how does that work? How does that go? How is teaching for you? What is it like? I love it. I really, I really, I really, really love teaching. And I, I've sort of decided that I prefer to make my money that way than by doing commissions and I do do some commissions but I I find that teaching nourishes my practice in a way that commissions I feel Mm -hmm. in in a way drain drain it a bit Mm -hmm. I mean that might not always be the case but at the moment that's sort of how I feel it's it it's really it's really exciting I find to try to articulate how to do something to someone else and that vast age range really helps so the youngest I teach is seven mm-hmm. um and then as I said the oldest is our adults and we you know we take it right up all through the all through teenagers as well so it's and, and also within those age ranges there are such different ways of understanding things mm-hmm. um I think it really expands my understanding of of drawing and painting I think it's amazing that you know there, there's we have a very specific technique that we use to teach them um but sometimes it just doesn't work in someone's mind so you have to mm-hmm. kind of think about how to um describe it in a different way or how to navigate that problem in a different way like there was a there was a kid who was really really not understanding how to do we do a kind of um, a grid system and he was really finding it very difficult to understand how to use it. Um, And I think it was maybe a kind of possibly slightly sort of dyspraxia related Mm -hmm. thing of of it Mm -hmm. just didn't really work. And, um, and he, and then we, we, we changed tack and we're trying to find, so he was copying a a picture of, of an owl Um, and, um, and, we changed tack and tried to find different shapes within the within the feathers. So and and yeah. he was just amazing at it. And he was like, he was like, oh, there's an electric guitar and there's a dragon and there's a you know a sheep and a whatever you know, all of these things that I couldn't see. And then as soon as he yeah. said them, I could see them. And it was just so yeah. it was so lovely to see someone suddenly find the route that works for them. And it's 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 very encouraging when I then go into the studio and get stuck. Because I'm like, well, maybe it'll be, you know, maybe you're just, there's another route that you need to find mm-hmm. and you kind of use that same way of thinking, yeah. So do you have a studio at home? Do you have a studio you go to? Like what's 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 that like for you? Yeah, I have a studio that I go to. Um, I do actually have, there's a, there, I, I live in a, in a shared house with, with my partner and, and two flatmates, a uh, few housemates. Um, and there is a, there is a room here that I used to use as a studio, but which has basically become storage at this point. <laughs> um, so I realized that actually that was, although it is quite expensive to rent another, I mean, it is a small room, but to still to rent another room, um it was worth it was it was worth it because I I 
I find it very difficult to paint with lots of stuff around me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also find it very difficult to get rid of stuff. So <laughs> storage it is. Um, um, yeah. So I have, I have quite a bare studio just in a, in a, in a warehouse space, um, in, in Southeast London. Working in oil paint and then also working in watercolor, two completely different beasts. Mm. So, do you have a preference one over the other? Or you just love them both and it's dependent on the subject matter? Like, because it is, I'm always, I'm, I love it when someone is, you, you know, loves working with two things that are just so different, you know. Yeah, totally. Um, both in, in the use of them and the results that they give. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think um, it definitely depends on, as you say, on, on the subject matter and, and and my mood and also just sort of practical situations. Like, for example, at various points when I've been locked down because of the mm. pandemic, I've been at mm. home, it's easier to paint in watercolours because yes. uh, they don't take up as much space. They're not so fumey, you know. It's, yeah. it's um, So there are those sort of very simple reasons. And then I guess more more kind of art driven reasons. Um, oil paint is a much more complex medium, um, and you can therefore do a lot more with it um, because you can, you know, in very simple terms, you can go very very thin and very very thick. You can go transparent. You can go opaque. You can create all sorts of different kinds of textures in a way that is a lot harder to do with watercolors although you can still go textural with watercolors but not so much um uh, but then with watercolors I kind of love that simplicity uh, almost the the kind of the sparseness of it and as as you'll see if you have a look at at my um at my work most of the watercolors I've done have actually been single color watercolors you know just Mm. using ultramarine blue so mm-hmm. I, I suppose I use watercolors for I suppose you could think of the watercolors as being like um, very simple poems, like haikus, as it were, and then the the oil paintings as like novels, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So yeah, sort of. Um, also, you spend a lot of you spend very different time frames with things that way as well. So if you've got a quick thought that you want to get down now sometimes watercolor is quite good because it dries really quickly and then it's done and you can't kind of you can correct a bit but you can't correct that much whereas oil paint you can move around for years yeah um so it's also to do with how what I want out of the experience so if I want to spend a lot of time sitting with an object then I might go for oils because I know I can spend a long time with it but if I want to just almost like transpose an image and see what it looks like in a different medium mm-hmm. um, then I might use watercolor to to do that I find watercolor is a very good medium for painting photographs because it's sort of physically quite similar in the sense that it you know, a photograph or like an old photograph anyway is a is like is is a is a color on some paper, which is the same as what you have with watercolor. Um, whereas oil paint, I think of as being more kind of bodily somehow. Yeah, um, yeah. So there are lots of different reasons why I'd use one or the other. Um, 
yeah it, it yeah it depends it depends on the project really yeah do you, do you work on one thing at a time like one painting at a time or have you got a multitude of things on the go lots of things on the go yeah um <laughs> excellent <laughs> i um it's yeah so at the moment i've got well at the moment i'm relatively restrained in that i've only got three things on the go but i've got a fourth thing in the planning and and then i'm also might 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 sketch at any given moment you just watch yeah. me <laughs> um so um yeah so i the i've got two so i've got one commission ongoing um and i've got one commission in the planning mm-hmm. and then i've got a a really huge painting um of um of my grandfather that i that i'm working on um which is full full length body or but larger than life and with wow. another figure as well and a bit of landscape so it's it, I, I was restricted by the size of my wall in the studio <laughs> um, yeah. um so this is easily the biggest I've ever worked and it's it's quite um scary so sometimes I'm like I can't deal yeah. with this today so I've got a smaller thing on the go for when I can <laughs> um approach that and though that smaller thing is the glove stretcher um thing that mm-hmm. I was talking about before that's yeah. a little still life. Um, and then, yeah, and then I, I've also, I don't really have a sketchbook practice, really. I've got a notebook that I write in all the time. Um, but that might, you know, occasionally turn into drawing as yeah. I write um, as well. Um, and I'm not promising not to start another thing as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's fair enough. <laughs> you would never promise that. <laughs> yeah so, I'm curious because of course you know we are the art supply posse we are about supplies which kind of lends itself to brands as well what yeah. what brands are you like do you you use one particular oil paint brand only do you have a million different sorts you like like what what are you sort of and obviously the same with watercolors and, and everything else like is there go-to supplies for you that you've got to always have at hand um, so I would say I, I, I'm quite varied in terms of my brands, um, particularly for oil paints. Mm-hmm. Um, for watercolours, I would say I tend to use Windsor & Newton, mm-hmm. um, not particularly because I've I've experimented with lots and they are the best, but because they're the ones I started using and they've always worked. <laughs> um, I've got sense. a lovely little set of, of pans um, that very rarely, you know, that, that run out very slowly. Um, and I, and I, I, that my, my parents gave me that when I was nine, um, and I've just replaced the pans as they go. So watercolors, I, I tend to have just that one. Um, oils are much more variable because you buy them by the tube Mm. um and they're very expensive or they can be very expensive yeah so it sort of varies um I find that um Old Holland or Michael Harding are both good brands um for kind of the more slightly more expensive end but I also I'm just learning which pigments I need more expensive ones yep. for and which ones I don't. So, for example, yep. with yellow ochre, I would never really 
well, no, actually, thinking about that, I do have a Michael Harding yellow ochre on the go at the moment, but um, I don't think I don't think I mind having a slightly cheaper yellow ochre because I don't mind it being mm. a bit gritty. Yeah. Um, and that if I'm trying to do a very refined painting, then I would have to have a more expensive one because yellow mm. ochre can be really gritty. Um, ivory black, I find the Winsor and Newton one is very oily, which is a bit annoying. Mm. Um, but it's also to- totally usable. It's 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 fine. Um, mm-hmm. I think the ones that I'm really picky about are my whites. Um, so I would go for I would go for a Michael Harding um, mm-hmm. or an Old Holland actually, either of those yeah. um, for for white because that's kind of really um, that's that's the kind of that's the bedrock of all of my yeah. paintings. You need to have a yeah. kind of good. Hot, yeah. highly pigmented white I've I get I have a titanium white and a a warm I think they just call it a warm white which is a kind mm-hmm. of lead white alternative I do also have lead white but um yeah. I only use that every now and then because you know <laughs> um poisonous and yeah well <laughs> questionable legal status <laughs> yeah um, so what about um, what about like canvases and that sort of stuff? Is that mm-hmm. surfaces? I'm just assuming you work on a canvas, so you could be telling me no, Kim. It's something completely different. Like, what 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 surfaces are you working on, and you know, what's your preference and size? Like, it yeah, sounds like so you do quite a variety of sizes as well. Big variety of sizes and quite a big variety of surfaces as well. Actually, I've been quite I've been sort of experimenting with that quite a bit. Um, I find. Um, I find for oil sketching, so like if I was to be painting in a in a live drawing class or just going, you know, going out to paint in the park for kind of studies, mm-hmm. um, there, there, I can't. It's really annoying. I will send it to you afterwards. But the, there's a there's a particular brand of um, of pad that you can, you know, oil. It's not oil paper. It is actually, I think, Canvas. just like a kind of polyester. Yep. kind of fabric but you get yep. it in a pad yep. um and i and that is it's actually toned to look like the kind of color of linen so it's sort mm-hmm. of a uh, brownie beigey color um so i find that a very useful um that's very useful for studies for um the enormous painting that i'm working on at the moment i am um i'm using jute um oh, which okay. i've never used before so yeah. can't tell you much about that yet. I will yeah, wow. I will let you know later. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I tend to avoid cotton as much as possible um, as a surface uh, for two reasons. Um, one, one which I know sounds a bit stupid in, in <laughs> some ways, is ecological. And the reason I say it sounds stupid is because oil painting is inherently yeah. so unecological. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, you're using so much poison um, that you're putting into the world, but I feel like um, <laughs> the tiny ways that I can, I can yeah, make it you yeah. know, marginally and, better. Yeah. Small, tiny steps, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. It's um, hard. It's, it's, it's got to be one of the hardest things for an artist, I think, is, you know, you look at some of your supplies, particularly things like oil paints, but also just finishing a supply off and going, I can't recycle that. That container is no, that's just going in landfill. And oh, yeah, yeah. I sometimes think, what am I doing? I know, I know. It's really bad. So I, 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 yeah, I think, yeah, you just got to 
work out the right balance for you, haven't you? And I, and yeah. and one yeah. of the things that I I find works is not for me is not using cotton very often, um, mm-hmm. um, partially because because of that, and also because I don't like it that much, which also helps. It's always, it's always good when the more ecological option is the one that you like better as well. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I prefer linen a lot like I, I find um cotton to be very absorbent so that mm-hmm. so um uh you get this uh, phenomenon called sinking in where if you um painted um a surface and then a lot of the oil gets absorbed into mm-hmm. the surface um that you've painted on and then the kind of darks get really patchy yeah. although Someone said to me the other day that actually it's not the surface that's absorbing it, it's the pigments underneath. So I don't know what's happening, to be honest, but <laughs> I'm not sure if I believe that. But anyway, um, no. um, it's, um, um, but I have found, I, I, I personally prefer an oil primed linen, mm-hmm. which is very a very expensive way of doing things. So I only do that when I know I'm going to spend a long time on a painting which is why I use the pads for sketching I also find I quite like doing um wipeouts so Mm -hmm. that's like when you have uh you know it's like a a subtractive method of 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 painting um where you'd have like a white surface and then cover it with a with a with a sort of terpsy layer of 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 tone maybe in raw umber or something and then you use a tissue or a Q-tip or a rubber to, yeah, or a brush to, to pull out um, <clears throat> the pigment. And I, I find that for doing those um, boards tend to be a really good way of doing it. Um, okay. There's uh, again, I can't remember the brand, and I'll have to send it to you afterwards. Sorry about this. Um, should have okay. looked that up. But there's there is a brand of board which I have found quite good for that. At first, I. I couldn't understand why anyone would use it because it was such a slick surface. It was like painting on ice. Um, but then I realized that for, for wipeouts, it's really good because it mm-hmm. stays possible to wipe it out for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, so surfaces, I use quite a lot of different kinds. Um, yeah. and I haven't really settled yet. No. And um, you know, that's good. You got to yeah. keep some variety. <laughs> why not? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so is there anything else you want to talk about? Edith, this has been such a great chat, so informative. I mean, honestly, I feel like we need to put a pin in the conversation and return in, I don't know, six months or three months, not even that long. Like I just feel like there's so much more we could talk about. But yeah, is there anything else to. for today, like while we're here now chatting, anything else you want to talk about, anything else you want to bring up, maybe some advice perhaps or something because especially because you're coming from that perspective of teaching as well is there anything you want to say to listeners that maybe they want to try oil painting or watercolor and they have not yet done it like what what tips could you suggest um I suppose sort of a a general piece of advice as it were would be if you're starting something new it seems so obvious but to keep it simple um Mm -hmm. and if you're learning about something particularly a new medium to reduce all the reduce everything um as much as possible all the different variables so like I was saying about the the um my watercolors that I basically just did in one color yeah Um, I learned a lot by doing that um 
and at, at some point I'll introduce other colors of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then oil painting that's how we learned it as well at my um at, at, at Lara we had this very um controlled way of introducing colors gradually so we started mm. um, so we started by drawing in pencil then we drew mm -hmm. in charcoal then we drew in charcoal and chalk and then we were allowed to start thinking about paint um and we were we did we painted just in black and white at first. Yep. yep. Um, and then we'd, um, then we did a bit of black and white and well, there are various different limited palettes that you can use basically, yeah, but yeah. Um, I would definitely recommend starting with the limited palette, whether, whether that's the palette that is often called the Zorn palette or the Apelles palette, which is a kind of basic limited palette, which is um, a white a black a red and a yellow and I would recommend um yellow ochre and a kind of earth red of some sort maybe mm -hmm. like a Venetian red or an English red or something like that um <clears throat> because with those four pigments you can actually create muted versions of every color because black yep. and white mix together to make a kind of bluish um yep. color so that's your three primaries as it were um so I think that would be, and, 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 and then you use that as your basis and then you bring in other colors yeah. to, as you, as, and when you need them. So you make, you make the purple as purple you can with that mixture, but you're looking at that purple flower that you're trying to paint and realize that it'll, you'll never get there. So you introduce yeah. a blue yep. to, to make that happen sort of thing. So I think that would be my kind of main recommendation is definitely, definitely give things a go but don't overwhelm yourself by trying to paint a multicolored, you know, <laughs> landscape with figures and, and things, yeah. you know, go for like a pot in black and white and uh -huh. then ease your yep. way in. <laughs> yep. Good call. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, obviously there are all sorts of other areas that we could talk about, but I think mm. that's probably. That's, I think that's, that's it for today, probably. definitely. But I think we'll have to revisit indeed. <laughs> well, look, Edith, I, yeah. this has been such a nice chat. Thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. Uh, let's just finish off by you telling the listeners where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So I am uh, at Edith Dormandy, or one word, on Instagram, and my website is edithdormandy.co.uk. Thank you. Yeah. And I just want to say thank you so much for having me. It's 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 so great because I think, um, you know, uh, making art can be quite a lonely project. So it's really nice to connect with other people doing it. And I always like listening to the podcast and feeling like there are other people figuring these things out in their rooms across the world. So thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate oh, my it. My pleasure. My pleasure.